This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime, and we thank our producer, Nick Cohen. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight the case from February of 1998. It is the murder of 69-year-old Donald Roscoe Greenwood. On our Inside the Court segment, General Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury general sessions and circuit court activity. In our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel will discuss an area of the law that you will find to be both interesting and educational. It is the law regarding jury trials. And in our Cold Case Profile segment, we will be asking for your help in solving a mystery. It is the 2006 murder of 36-year-old James Curtis Richmond. Before we begin the broadcast, I would like to take a moment and say thank you to Assistant District Attorney Leslie Collum. Leslie Collum, for many years, served as an Assistant District Attorney in the Juvenile Court for Rutherford County. Leslie Collum served our community with great distinction and professionalism. She always was guided by doing what was right and what was just. She also cared about the people who appeared in juvenile court. She was a voice of reason all of the time. She was a source of comfort to the victims of juvenile offenders and to the juveniles who were in need of treatment, rehabilitation, and or correction. She had the rare ability to blend the human qualities of compassion, caring, hope, and understanding in just the right amount and to balance those qualities with the need of justice qualities, those qualities being structure, accountability, and guidance. Leslie Cullum provided our community with a prosecutor that we could all be proud of. She has always been someone that I am proud to have known, a friend that I could always count on. She is an example to so many young attorneys and someone I will truly miss. We wish Leslie Cullum and her family nothing but the best as she begins her retirement. I will now turn the microphone over to District Attorney General Jennings Jones. General, tell us more about this outstanding public servant. Well, Paul, you know that Leslie started in the office in 2004, uh, so she has been a, a juvenile prosecutor for Rutherford County for 16 years. Uh, and as you, you alluded to in your statement, uh, it, it's a very different position uh, from being a prosecutor in adult court. In adult court, you're looking for a little bit of justice and, and some correction. The standard is different for juvenile court. In juvenile court, the goal is 
whatever is in the best interest of the child. Uh, and you try not to mix the, uh, what guides an adult court assistant district attorney and what guides a juvenile court assistant district attorney. Uh, for that reason, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit hard to do when, when you're in adult court and splitting it into the juvenile court. And so we've been blessed to have an assistant district attorney who stayed solely in juvenile court. You know, Leslie was able to uh, distinguish the cases that you, you might call uh, stupid things done by children uh, versus those things that were more serious and, and needed to be transferred into adult court. Uh, she did an excellent job of that, and I always felt like the juvenile court was in good hands. I didn't really have to worry about it. So I am grateful for the years that Leslie put in at the office, uh, and I, I wish her all the best, uh, and I hope that she is having fun, uh, maybe has thrown away her alarm clock and is getting to sleep in a little bit. This is the Action Line on WGNS. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. Hey guys, I'm Marcellus from Bubba Gandy Seafood, the freshest seafood in town with a new delivery every single week. The Gandy name started in the seafood industry over 60 years ago in Panama City, Florida. Now in the borough. On Memorial Boulevard, across from the Sportscom. Are you tired of constantly spending money on sprays and other things to control mosquitoes around your home? If so, come by Holden Hardware and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. When used properly, the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators will kill up to 95% of the mosquitoes in the covered area for up to 90 days. This year, make mosquito control easier and cheaper. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. If only I could spend my whole paycheck on new tires. Said no one ever. Which is why Bud's Tire Pros makes buying Michelin tires simpler. Allison Mitchell at Bud's Tire Pros says that they offer a straightforward approach to service, and they include a nationwide warranty with every purchase. We're your one-stop shop for all your automotive needs, including alignments, oil changes, brake service, engine repair, and much more. Stop by today to see their full lineup of Michelin tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin has a tire to fit any need. Tire Pros, hassle-free guaranteed. Visit BudsTireProsTN.com. During today's broadcast on our Call to Conviction segment, we will review the brutal murder of Donald Roscoe Greenwood in 1998. This horrific murder occurred here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It was one of the most violent murders the Murfreesboro police have ever investigated. And you will find some of the facts of this case very disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. On February the 20th, 1998, between 5 and 5.30 p.m., 69-year-old Donald Roscoe Greenwood was brutally murdered. Mr. Greenwood was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. He had multiple fractures to his skull. His left ear was severely injured. His right eye was basically destroyed. He suffered numerous broken ribs, and a piece of Mr. Greenwood's skull was found on the floor several feet from his body. Donald Roscoe Greenwood was attacked in his motel room here in the city of Murfreesboro. 
Mr. Greenwood had recently moved into his room two days earlier, on February the 18th, 1998. Mr. Greenwood suffered from Parkinson's disease, and he had moved from Cannon County to Murfreesboro to be closer to Veterans Hospital. The police were summoned to the Jackson Motel by the motel manager, and the manager was asked to call the police by Kenneth Dykus and Deborah Reese. They told the manager that they had found Mr. Greenwood dead in his motel room. When the police arrive, Detective Joel Davis begins the investigation. Assisting in the investigation are Detectives Chris Guthrie and Jim Gage, along with the TBI. In Mr. Greenwood's room, significant amounts of blood were discovered, including on the bathroom sink, the top of the microwave, all over the front of the refrigerator, and on the ceiling. A bloody claw hammer was found underneath a table in the room, and Donald Roscoe Greenwood's lifeless body was also discovered on the floor next to his blood-stained bed. The police became suspicious of Kenneth Paul Dykus and Deborah Reese very quickly based on several factors. The couple appeared to be acting very strangely, the police learned that Dykus and Reese had immediately befriended Mr. Greenwood the very first day they met him. They learned the couple spent most of their time with Mr. Greenwood. They also learned that Mr. Greenwood often paid the way for the couple's daily needs. They also learned that Dykus and Reese were the two last people known to have been with Mr. Greenwood the day he was murdered. Police asked to search Dykus and Reese's room. There, law enforcement finds several important bloodstains. They find a bloodstain on the concrete floor directly outside the Dykus room, which later matches the victim's blood. They find more blood on the door jamb of the Dykus room, which is later determined to be Mr. Greenwood's blood. And most significantly, on a pair of men's work boots that were found underneath Kenneth Dykus's bed, they find another bloodstain, a bloodstain that matches the blood of Donald Roscoe Greenwood. The police take the couple to the Murfreesboro Police Department for questioning. The interviews resulted in the couple being charged with murder. On February 23, 1999, in Judge Steve Daniels' court, Deborah Reese pleads guilty to first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery and conspiracy. For the murder, she receives a life sentence. For the especially aggravated robbery, 15 years. For the conspiracy, 8 years. All of the sentences were ordered to be served concurrently. And as part of the plea agreement, Deborah Reese agreed to testify truthfully at the trial of Kenneth Paul Dykus. Kenneth Dykus's trial was also conducted in Judge Steve Daniels' courtroom. Following several days of testimony, a Rutherford County jury found Kenneth Paul Dykus guilty of premeditated first-degree murder, felony murder, especially aggravated robbery, and conspiracy. The jury sentenced Kenneth Dykus to life without the possibility of parole. Consecutive to that sentence, Judge Daniel added a total of 24 years for the conspiracy and especially aggravated robbery convictions. Under these sentences, Kenneth Paul Dykus will never be released from prison. 
We are honored to have the judge who presided over this case in the studio today. We want to welcome retired Judge Steve Daniel to the WGNS microphones. I had the privilege of appearing in Judge Daniel's court and prosecuting the Dicus and Reese cases with General Weitzel. I know that General Weitzel and Judge Daniel have many years of experience together in court. So I'm going to ask General Weitzel to take the lead and ask Judge Daniel about some of the more interesting aspects of the trial of State of Tennessee versus Kenneth Paul Dicus. Uh, morning, Judge Daniel. How good, are you? Good morning, General. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Uh, I know you remember this trial, and uh, as uh, uh, Paul said, it was a very heinous act. What is it that, that sticks in your mind about this particular case? One of the things that came to my attention when you asked about it was the the way that uh, an elderly man with uh, a good bit of health problems were taken advantage of by these individuals who courted him uh, in the form of trying to solicit his favor and then uh, brutally murdered him after uh, getting the benefit of his largesse in the form of money and seems to me him buying them products, beer and cigarettes and all of those types of things. Uh, I, I recall the, uh, when we were trying the case, uh, of course, uh, he was a veteran. And part of the reason that the he, deceased was yes. yes, and he was and part of the reason that the he VA. moved here was uh, to be closer to the VA hospital so he could right. uh, get the treatment uh, that he needed, and uh, something I want to talk about a little bit later. But I remember that we introduced a picture of him uh, in his military uniform to show the jury uh, what he looked like. Uh, we've discussed it a little bit. The, the courts now have made it more and more difficult for the prosecution to introduce what we call life pictures of the deceased. Mm. Uh, and I know you're aware of that. But back, back when this case was tried, that was routinely done. It was. And uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, a, a present judge, Judge Bragg, was uh, appointed to represent Mr. Dicus along, I believe, with, was it Gilbert Anglin? Gilbert Anglin was lead, and, and Bragg was second in that particular situation. And uh, you may recall that one of the witnesses in the case worked in a convenience store that was not too far from the Jackson Motel. And uh, we were... Uh, I think Mr. Newman was questioning her, and she was identifying the de two defendants. And uh, I remember Judge Bragg got up to cross-examine her and said, Now, how, how are you so sure that my client was uh, one of these people? And something she'd never told us, she said, Well, they had blood on their clothing. But uh, <laughs> in all of our interviews about that, she had never told us that. And uh, when we asked her, after she was off the witness stand, why didn't you tell us that? She said, you never asked me. Good so. reason. <laughs> Judge Daniel, one of the things that we always like to know about, because when we're trying the case, and I know you're aware of this, you don't really know how it's coming across. And in this case, we had things like the cellmate of Mr. Dicus who testified against him. We had Deborah Reese, his co-defendant, who testified against him. We had scientific evidence in the form of the blood stains and the blood pattern analysis. And we had the store clerk. Uh, of those, 
what had real impact to you, or how would you assess the value of those pieces of evidence? Well, there's a cumulative effect of uh, that evidence, obviously, but it seems to me, if my recollection is right, uh, in this case, uh, there was correspondence as well between uh, the 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 yeah. two co-defendants that was very incriminating as well, and uh, and so they would say one thing, but then their own internal attempted communications said something different. But each one of those types of evidence build on it on themselves for the credibility and reliability of the position. And I couldn't say one over the other, but the cumulative effect of it is overwhelming. And we'll take a break. Consumer Warrior Clark Howard. We discuss ways you can save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. Weekdays 11 to 1, here on WGNS. This is Peter Demas, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's Restaurants. One of the things that we have always done is we have been very careful with the way that we sanitize our tables. We have mandatory hand-washing stations. Our employees are required to wear masks. We are just overall just being very careful with everything that we are doing and the way we handle food the way we handle plates to ensure everybody's safety as they return and start enjoying the dining room experience again. Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Start your weekdays with the early show. Zach Trotman and CBS News Radio wake you up weekday mornings from 4 to 6 a.m. on News Radio WGNS. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. And in this, in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted. And, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. In June, we took <clears throat> took the opportunity to make up uh, for missed grand juries. Uh, because of the coronavirus, we have been unable to have grand juries for several months, and in the month of June, we had three grand juries. In the most recent of those grand juries, we introduced 112 indictments. Included within that amount are 13 counts of aggravated assault, 4 for murder, 7 counts of felony theft, 7 counts of aggravated burglary, 3 for aggravated robbery, 25 counts of felony drugs, and 12 counts of crimes against children. Moving on to news in cases that are current in court. On May the 15th, 2018, a citizen called 911 and told the dispatcher that a man was sitting in the middle of the roadway at West Main Street and Bridge Avenue. According to the citizen, the man in the street was saying that he had shot someone. The Murfreesboro Police Department quickly responded to the location, but before the police arrived, the man got up and ran away. The fleeing man was later apprehended and identified as 27-year-old Brandon Robichaud. The Murfreesboro Police investigation led them to the in-town suites on Old Fort Parkway. Inside of one of the hotel rooms, the police located the body of 37-year-old Leanna Austin. Leanna Austin had been shot to death. Based on the investigation, Detective Doug Arrington arrested Robichaud and charged him with the murder of Leanna Austin. 
A trial date of February the 18th, 2020, had been set in the case, but that date has now been canceled. At the request of the defense, the trial was postponed, pending a mental health evaluation of Brandon Robichaud. That evaluation has now concluded. On July the 17th, Brandon Robichaud is scheduled to appear again in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. At that appearance, Brandon Robichaud will have the opportunity to enter a plea of guilty or to set his case for trial. Brandon Robichaud is being represented by the Rutherford County Public Defender, Gerald Melton, and Assistant Public Defender, Caleb McCain. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Dana Minor. Brandon Robichaud remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Jail, awaiting his June court appearance. On May the 4th, 2017, the Murfreesboro Police Department began an investigation into the shooting death of Jesse Buford. Buford was shot at the student quarters apartments here in Murfreesboro. The shooting was captured on videotape. On May the 6th, 2017, Detective James Abbott arrested 19-year-old Lamoris Jones in Jackson, Tennessee. On December 20th, 2019, Lamoris Jones appeared in the Rutherford County Circuit Court of Judge David Bragg. Lamoris Jones had a trial scheduled to begin on April the 6th, 2020. However, due to the coronavirus pandemic, the trial will have to be rescheduled. When the case goes to trial, the state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Brent Pierce. The trial will be held in front of Circuit Court Judge David Bragg. And the defendant will be represented by Nashville Attorney Wesley Clark. On June 23, 2020, Lamoris Jones appeared in court, and on that date, the case was once again reset, this time for trial. The trial will start October the 5th and will conclude, hopefully, within five days. Presently, Lamoris Jones remains in the Rutherford County Jail, awaiting his trial date. 54-year-old Martin Benito Montmire appeared in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg on June the 30th. At that appearance, the matter was reset for further hearing on August the 27th, 2020. Martin Montmire is charged with first-degree murder. On March 31st, 2019, at approximately 3 a.m., the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to the Montmire home in the 400 block of Sunset Avenue in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Once inside the home, they discovered the body of Martin Montmire's wife, 53-year-old Judith Montmire. Judith Montmire had been killed by knife wounds that she had suffered at the hands of her assailant. Judith Montmire was the manager at Donut Country, located on Memorial Boulevard. Following the initial investigation, Murfreesboro detective Jacob Fountain charged Martin Montmire with the murder of his wife, Judith Montmire. Martin Montmire will be represented by Rutherford County Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys J. Paul Newman, Dana Minor, and Trevor Lynch. In this case, the state has given notice that if Martin Montmire is convicted of murder, it will be seeking a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Martin Montmire is also being held for a Texas parole violation on two prior murder convictions. Martin Montmire remains in state custody at the Rutherford County Jail, awaiting further court action. On April the 30th, 2018, 17-year-old Yuji Cherubin was shot and killed at a Laverne residence while his two siblings sat with him in his car. 
According to the Laverne Police Department, Cherubin went to an address in the 2000 block of George Buchanan Drive in Laverne, Tennessee. Cherubin was in the process of attempting to buy an iPhone when he was shot in the face and robbed. Cherubin later died at a local hospital. Within 24 hours, the Laverne Police Department located and charged two juveniles with the murder of Cherubin. Earlier this year, the two juveniles were transferred to the adult court by the juvenile court judge, Donna Scott Davenport. Now that the two juveniles have been adjudicated to be treated as adults, we can provide their names. They are Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes. On June 12th, Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes appeared in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. At that appearance, the case was reset for further hearing on August the 13th, 2020. Brian Berry is being represented by Murfreesboro attorney Derek Howard. Marquez Hughes is represented by Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state is being represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes are currently being held in the Rutherford County Jail, unable to post bond. On June the 30th, Tanner Lancaster appeared in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. At that appearance, the case was reset for further hearing on August the 27th, 2020. Rutherford County Sheriff's Detective Derek McCullough has charged 25-year-old Tanner Lancaster with the murder of his father, 61-year-old Perry Lancaster. The crime is alleged to have occurred on Friday night, September the 21st, 2018, at the Lancaster home on Brook Run Road in Rutherford County, Tennessee. Tanner Lancaster is represented by Rutherford County Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Dana Miner and Trevor Lynch. Currently, Tanner Lancaster is being held at the Rutherford County Jail, unable to make bond. On December the 8th, 2016, Murfreesboro Police located the body of Francisca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Francisca Gomez Cordero was an Hispanic female. Based upon their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. That number again, 615-893-1311. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. Two powerful FM signals, one AM signal, and online at WGNSRadio.com means that you can listen to us anywhere. AM, FM, FM, online. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, high in the low 90s. Northeast winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies and a low near 70. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 73. As we keep you updated with the latest traffic, it's a lot of radar up and down the interstate out here. Watch your speed. They're really starting to crack down as we get into the holiday weekend. Again, up and down I-24, slow it down. THP chasing people down, giving them a ticket, trying to spoil their holiday weekend. For that perfect getaway just outside Gatlinburg, check out Cosby Creek Cabins. Log on to CosbyCreekCabins.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 
Farmers still optimistic. Welcome and hello again, everyone, for Tennessee Home and Farm Radio. I'm Lee Maddox. I could tell the caution that arose at different places. You'd, you'd go to the co-op or different places. You could tell they were cautiously optimistic. Also, as farming, we had to keep going. We had to go on. Farmers across Tennessee are still farming despite the challenges we've all faced with the coronavirus. Robertson County's Buddy Bryant says even though the shutdown orders came, farmers like himself and many others knew they had to carry on their work for the good of the country. We're all working. We're setting the tobacco, we're cutting our hay, got our corn planted, started in on our early beans. Again, but you can still feel a little bit of hesitation when you go to different places, crop centers or things like that. But having said that, we can't just sit back and let the country falter because we've got to move on. Bryant says for years, like many other farmers, he's had to depend on migrant labor to help with his crops. This year was no different, and there was concern early on that those workers would even be allowed to enter the country. And even after they got here, no one knew what to expect. I was actually surprised, and I don't know why I was, but I was because they came in, and when they got there, they had their mask on. Even, you know, this is a worldwide deal. And they knew just as much about what to do and what not to do as, as we have been taught and, been, and, and been, have read. We had a brochure sent out from the uh, Gap and different agencies about what to do, but these guys already knew it. So they're practicing the social distancing, I've noticed, just as well as we all are. One positive aspect of the pandemic, there's been a renewed interest in the job our farmers do and how they play a critical role in our food security, and Brian hopes they remember. I hope people will remember when this is all said and done, and it will. It'll be history one day, but they need to remember, you know, when they do the farm bill, you know, it's a food security bill. And for Tennessee Home and Farm Radio, I'm Lee Maddox. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Uh, Paul, I want to talk about uh, jury trials, and I I think the common perception, uh, and probably rightly so, is that most criminal trials uh, and the ones we see depicted on TV or in the movies, they're... Uh, jury trials. And of course, the Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution guarantees an accused the right to a uh, speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and the district wherein uh, the crime is alleged to have been committed. So uh, early on, uh, our, our forefathers recognized the value of jury trials. Uh, Tennessee, when Tennessee became a state and uh, in the Tennessee Constitution, there are actually two sections in Article One that guaranteed the defendant the right to a jury trial. And uh, Section 6 says the right to a trial by jury shall remain inviolate. Uh, and then in Section 9, it, it further goes on to say that in all criminal pros- prosecutions, uh, the accused hath the right to be heard by himself and counsel, uh, the nature of the charges against him, Etc., and that he may have a speedy public trial by an impartial jury in the county in which the crime shall have been uh, committed. So, so uh, it's a right that is recognized and given by both the federal and the state constitution. Uh, in addition to these requirements, we have in the criminal rules, Rule 23, where the right to a jury trial 
uh, is guaranteed in all prosecution except for what is determined to be a small offense. In other words, an offense is punishable uh, generally by a fine. Now, which in Tennessee, in a first-degree murder case, uh, there is a specific section, uh, Tennessee Code 3913-205, that allows the defendant uh, to waive his right to a jury trial and have the judge uh, determine the guilt of the defendant. In the event the defendant is found guilty, of course, then the uh, judge is put in the role of, the, of a jury, and the judge must find aggravating circumstances uh, beyond a reasonable doubt and that they outweigh any mitigating circumstances uh, in the event the state is seeking uh, either life without parole or the death penalty in order to go through the procedure to impose judgment. Now, here's the thing that most people don't know and don't realize. Not only does a defendant have the right to a jury trial, but in Tennessee, the state has the right to a trial by jury also. So in order for uh, the case to proceed to the judge only, the state must also agree to give up their right to a jury trial. And then there is a third component. In addition to the defendant waiving his right, the state waiving their right to a jury trial, uh, the statute provides that the judge also or the court must agree to hear the case. And especially in, in death penalty cases, there are situations that I'm aware of, not particularly in this county, uh, but in other states or, or other jurisdictions, where the judges said, no, I'm not going to hear the case by myself, uh, and they will not allow uh, the defendant to waive that right. Uh, one interesting thing I thought about in preparing for this is uh, we, some of us older folks like myself, remember a TV show, uh, Perry Mason. And the interesting thing about that TV show, there were two things actually. One, the defendant uh, was not always, was not guilty. And the uh, real perpetrator of the crime would jump up in court and confess in uh, 30 some odd years of prosecution never happened to me uh wasn't that lucky the other thing was there was never a jury it was always a preliminary hearing uh so so uh you know it never got to the stage of where there was a jury trial or at least not in any episode that i recall and that's interesting also even in general sessions court if a uh, defendant says uh charged with a misdemeanor I'll waive my right to a jury trial and let the General Sessions judge hear the case. The state has to agree to that. Uh, and, and many times we did not agree because we expected that the charge might be upgraded or there might be additional charges. So we had to be careful in that regard and make sure that, uh, that those cases that might result in greater charges did not, the defendant did not waive that right and it slipped by uh, the person in court and have a trial because then it would have been a double jeopardy situation and we could not have proceeded with the greater charges. We'll return with our cold case profile after these messages. Does your home or business need COVID-19 virus cleaning? Hi, I'm Tom Sweat from AmeriCare Services. We're a locally owned company and we specialize in cleaning and disinfecting for the COVID-19 virus. 
our EPA-registered and approved products are 100% effective at killing COVID-19. To learn more, contact AmeriCare at 893-7111 or on the web at americareservices.com forward slash coronavirus. Now, WGNS Good Neighbor Events. This coming Saturday is the 4th of July. And there's big news about Independence Day here in Murfreesboro. The fireworks will be set to go off at a much higher altitude, so you'll be able to see them from all around. This lets you spread out and practice social distancing. They're going to be going off at a high altitude this year. And since there's no PA system that's loud enough to work over that entire area, this year you'll tune in to WGNS starting at 7 o'clock this coming Saturday night. And the fireworks will go off around 9. The fireworks will be synchronized to the music on the radio. Tune to WGNS starting at 7 o'clock Saturday night until around 9.30. We'll have some guest celebrities. Mayor McFarland will be here, along with the waking crew. Plus, Rutherford County historian Greg Tucker has some unique historical facts about our community. That's from 7 to 9.30 this coming Saturday night, the 4th of July, right here on WGNS. From News Radio, WGNS, those are Good Neighbor Events. Every homicide, every rape, every robbery affects the entire community. People who are victims of these crimes need closure. The people who committed these crimes must be held accountable. Law enforcement needs the community's help in seeking justice. Please listen as we review an unsolved mystery in this month's Cold Case Profile. It was the afternoon of June the 8th, 2006, that Henry Richmond frantically dialed 911. He was calling to tell the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office that he had just found the body of his 36-year-old son, James Curtis Richmond. It was obvious to the grieving father that his son had been murdered. Henry Richmond told the deputies that he had become worried when he could not reach his son by phone. His concern and his love for his son compelled him to go to the son's home. When he arrived, he found his son on the patio dead. An autopsy showed that James Richmond had been shot to death. Rutherford County detectives processed the scene. They interviewed more than a dozen friends and associates. They served numerous search warrants. But despite their best efforts, the case ultimately went cold. Yes, cold, but not forgotten. It is not forgotten by the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, and certainly it is not forgotten by the friends and family of James Curtis Ridgemond. It was in June of 2006 that James Curtis Richmond was murdered, and every day since then, his family and friends have been forced to live their lives without someone they loved. But they also live with the agony of not knowing why James Curtis Richmond was killed, or who killed him. The family and friends want answers, and they want justice for James Curtis Ridgemond. In order to accomplish these goals, the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department asks for your help. 
our community must pull together. And as a civilized and caring society, we must do all that we can to bring this case to its proper resolution. If you have information regarding the murder of James Curtis Ridgeman, you are asked to call the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. The number to call is 615-904-3038. That number again is 615-904-3038. As a community, we should do all that we can to make sure that no murder goes unsolved. This concludes this segment of the broadcast. Please do not touch the dial. We will return after this short break. You are listening to the Action Line on your good neighbor station, WGNS. Now more than ever, start your mornings with WGNS. Swap and shop with Bart Walker. Weekday mornings, 750 to 810 on WGNS, AM, FM, online. Come by our store, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're a full-line music instrument store with well over 5,000 square feet packed with great instruments in every category. In guitars, we're your local dealer for the two top acoustic guitar brands in the world, Martin and Taylor. We've got the best selection and prices anywhere in the state of Tennessee on these. This is Dave Kivanemi at Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Farmers still optimistic. Welcome and hello again, everyone, for Tennessee Home and Farm Radio. I'm Lee Maddox. I could tell the caution that arose at different places. You'd you'd go to the co-op or different places. You could tell they were cautiously optimistic. Also, as farming, we had to keep going. We had to go on. Farmers across Tennessee are still farming despite the challenges we've all faced with the coronavirus. Robertson County's Buddy Bryant says even though the shutdown orders came, farmers like himself and many others knew they had to carry on their work for the good of the country. We're all working. We're setting the tobacco, we're cutting our hay, got our corn planted, started in on our early beans. Again, but you can still feel a little bit of hesitation when you go to different places, crop centers or things like that. But having said that, we can't just sit back and let the country falter because we've got to move on. Bryant says for years, like many other farmers, he's had to depend on migrant labor to help with his crops. This year was no different, and there was concern early on that those workers would even be allowed to enter the country. And even after they got here, no one knew what to expect. I was actually surprised, and I don't know why I was, but I was because they came in, and when they got there, they had their mask on. Even, you know, this is a worldwide deal. And they knew just as much about what to do and what not to do as, as we have been taught and, been, and, and been, have read. We had a brochure sent out from the uh, Gap and different agencies about what to do, but these guys already knew it. So they're practicing the social distancing, I've noticed, just as well as we all are. One positive aspect of the pandemic, there's been a renewed interest in the job our farmers do and how they play a critical role in our food security, and Brian hopes they remember. I hope people will remember when this is all said and done, and it will be history one day, but they need to remember, you know, when they do the farm bill, you know, it's a food security bill. And for Tennessee Home and Farm Radio, I'm Lee Maddox. COVID-19 has changed our world. And First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. Scams steal your money. I'm Shelly Rigsby, manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry. Don't give your personal information to people you don't know. 
even if they say they're the police, IRS, or anyone. For financial guidance, get with First National Bank of Murfreesboro, 2230 Mercury Boulevard. Member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, to give you a little bit of an update about goings on in the court system uh, as they pertain to the coronavirus, um, as the state has slowly begun to open up, so too has the, have the courts. Uh, currently, the Supreme Court has put out an order that allows courtrooms to go back up to 50% of their stated capacity. I think here locally, uh, the judges are attempting to keep that uh, fairly low by cycling people through the courtroom and only having a small number of pe- in the people in the courtroom at any given time. Uh, but it has allowed us to begin to move cases through the court system. Currently, however, uh, we do not have any jury trials scheduled to begin at least until the month of August, and depending on how things develop, possibly beyond. Uh, I think that the concern there is that, of course, you would have uh, 14 jurors plus all of the court personnel, uh, defense attorney, prosecutor, judge, clerks, etc., in the courtroom, uh, and that that could cause the concern or possibility of concern for uh, contamination or making someone sick in that way. Grand juries have been allowed to uh, to resume. Uh, with uh, appropriate social distancing. Uh, Instead of using a smaller grand jury room, we are using a a full courtroom in order to hold grand jury, which allows us to have a little bit more space between people. Uh, As I stated earlier in the broadcast, uh, we had several months which we were not able to have grand jury. Uh, We have made up for those missed months by having three grand juries in the month of June, and we will have another grand jury starting Monday, of, uh, of this week, the, uh, the first full week of July. Uh, when trials are allowed to begin, the courtrooms will have to be reconfigured to allow for space between the jurors. Um, that is going to be something that we've never had to do before. Uh, further, uh, the courts are having to consider whether or not uh, they will allow testimony uh, uh, by witnesses by remote uh, to have folks appear by either Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Uh, And and that has raised some concerns with defense counsel. Uh, Some have expressed concern that uh, if uh, if jurors are wearing a mask or if a witness is wearing a mask, they won't be able to really read the facial expression of, uh, of their witness, of the jurors, Uh, and that that might impede their ability to represent their client. Uh, And then, of course, uh, there is a a raised question of whether or not uh, that will uh, implicate the right to a direct confrontation of witnesses. Um, If you have a witness who is testifying by remote, will the Supreme Court uh, uh, state that that is a direct confrontation, or are they going to say that that will not suffice? So these are all questions that are going to have to be answered in the immediate future uh, and something that we're trying to work our way through with the uh, corona pandemic. As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Nick Cohen. Most of all, we thank you for listening. And, of course, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, August the 7th, 
at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host, Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. Dave Ramsey, America's most trusted money expert. The Dave Ramsey Show, live each day from 1 to 4 on WGNS Rutherford County's Place to Talk. We bring people to know you, and you know them. People like Truman Jones. Weekday mornings at 9, only on WGNS. AM, FM, FM, online. As we keep you updated with the latest traffic, it's a lot of radar up and down. The interstate out here, watch your speed. They're really starting to crack down as we get into the holiday weekend. Again, up and down I-24, slow it down. THP chasing people down, giving them a ticket, trying to pull their holiday weekend. For that perfect getaway just outside Gatlinburg, check out Cosby Creek Cabins. Log on to CosbyCreekCabins.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. The voice of Rutherford County, the flagship station for Blue Raiders sports. Time on the courthouse clock is 9 o'clock. 